have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis chapter 11. We've had a couple of weeks off now in our series in Genesis, uh, but we're jumping back into it this morning, and we will be looking at Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, and we'll be reading through chapter 12, verse 3. And what we have here in this passage is uh, another one of these genealogies that we have been becoming familiar with in Genesis. And with all these genealogies on the, on the surface, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot that is significant to our lives or, or gives us much meaning. But I think that as we look more closely at this passage, we're going to see much that we can be challenged by and take encouragement in this morning. So if you have your Bibles at home, you can please follow along with me or you can read along with me. The words will be on the screen. Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshed, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshed 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshed had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshed lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And she lived after he had fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he had fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Surug. And Reu lived after he had fathered Shrug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shrug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Shrug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he had fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Ahem, or Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took Lot wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Well friends, it is a new year. We have made it through 2020. And what a year it was, right? 
And for many of us now, as we, as we begin this new year, it gives us an opportunity to reflect back on this past year and to look ahead at the one to come. And, and weeks like this, they, they, they give us opportunities to, to plan for the year ahead and to ask ourselves uh, what lessons we have learned, uh, what are we looking forward to in the new year, uh, what can we do to make this year better than the year before, which may not be a particularly hard task in this particular instance, right? 2020 did not set the bar particularly high for us. Uh, but we, we, we love to think and plan ahead and, and to say, what can we do to position ourselves to have confidence in this coming year? But one thing that 2020 has taught us all is that our confidence can easily be misplaced. Plans can change quickly, right? It does not take much for our world to be turned upside down. Goals were dashed last year. Plans fell apart pretty fast. And this can be and, and was a, an unnerving feeling for us, right? And, and maybe for some of us, as we're, as we're heading into this new year, still feel these, these frazzled nerves moving into 2021. Well, my hope and my, my prayer for our time together in Genesis this morning is that God is going to show us where our true confidence lies and what our purpose is for this coming year. And this passage this morning may seem like a, an unlikely place to, to go to look for these things because it's just another long list of, of names. But I actually think that this passage is a wonderful way to start off this new year. And I'm, and I'm excited about what God has for us this morning. So let's jump right into the text here. The, the, the main idea that I think that these verses are speaking to is this. God is sovereign to bring about his saving plan for his people. God is sovereign to bring about his saving plan for his people. And we're going to unpack this main idea by looking at three points this morning. First, we're going to see that God is unrelenting in his purposes. Second, we're going to see that God is gracious in his choosing. And third, we're going to see that God is benevolent in his calling. So point one, God is unrelenting in his purposes. It's been a few weeks again since we've, we've been in this book together, so I want to I quickly recap the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And I'm going to do, do this really quickly here, but I want to do this because this passage in Genesis is a huge turning point in this story. And so I want us to have a clear picture of, of where we have been and what has led us up to where we are right now in chapter 11. So, so think back with me quickly on Genesis so far. The, the book of Genesis begins with God creating everything, right? The heavens, the earth, all that is in them created by God. And chapter 2 speaks of how the, the crown jewel of God's creation is us, humanity. You know, God made Adam and Eve, he, he made them in his image. He provided them with this world to enjoy. He, he, he called them to fill this world with his image. But in chapter 3, we see that, that Adam and Eve rebel against God, right? And then the, the following chapters have been this growing reality of sin and death 
and, and the reality of the curse, which just grows more and more real. And this corruption gets so bad that God eventually destroys the earth with the flood, right? But God is a merciful God. And humanity is saved through Noah and his family and the ark. But, but as soon as the waters subside and God makes that covenant with Noah, immediately humanity falls back into sin and rebellion. That's where we left off two weeks ago was with humanity and, and all-out rejection against God. And so these chapters in Genesis leading up to where we are this morning have been a story of humanity rebelling hard against God. But it's also been a story of God's relenting grace and mercy. Adam and Eve had sinned against God, but God was merciful and gives them this hope of one that would come to reverse the curse and to undo these things that have been set in motion. But even in the midst of this promise, humanity continues to rebel against him. But God is merciful to save them through the flood. And, and even his judgment at the Tower of Babel from, from two weeks ago, he works in such a way to do good to those who are scattered throughout the earth. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. that the, the reader of Genesis might look at these chapters and be tempted to doubt God's ability to bring about his purposes for his people. Because the first 11 chapters on the surface have been kind of disastrous, right? In the middle of this drama of this story, you might ask, does God really have a plan here? And is God really able to bring that plan about? This is a question that one could ask in reading these initial chapters in Genesis. But aren't these the same questions that we can sometimes ask about our own lives as well? It's easy for us to, to look at the circumstances in our lives and think that maybe God really is not at work for good. Maybe he doesn't really have a plan for your life. Or maybe he's not really able to carry that plan out. And, and maybe we don't really formulate these doubts quite that way in our head. Maybe we don't, we don't say them out loud, but we can feel these things in our hearts. We can, we can operate as if that were true. I'm sure that there were many times throughout this past year in 2020 where we were tempted to think, what is the purpose of this? How can this be a part of God's good plan? It just seems bad, right? I'll say one thing about 2020. Uh, it produced a lot of good internet memes. And one of my favorite memes from 2020 was this picture that somebody had taken of this, of this flooded town. And the, the town, the flood had been so bad, it, was like it had covered this town and the streets in like seven to eight feet of water. And the flood had picked up this dumpster and had, had carried this dumpster into the middle of the street of this town. And whoever took this photo, I guess they, they photoshopped it and they, they put this digital fire in this dumpster. And so this picture is, is literally this, this dumpster fire floating through a flooded town. And, uh, and, and the, the caption of this picture simply read 2020. Like that was their way of, of summarizing the past year. And this probably can get to capture some of how we have felt about this year as well. You know? And maybe that's sometimes how we feel about the circumstances of our life. A, a, a dumpster fire floating through a flooded town. No particular purpose to it, 
not heading in a good direction, just something that we wish wasn't happening. And maybe we don't feel this way about life in general, but there are areas of our life where we can often think this way about. There are areas in our life where we can think, what is the purpose of this? Is God really working for good here? Perhaps an area of of your life like this would be would be recent health issues that are causing you fear right now that have disrupted so much of your life. Perhaps it's years of of struggling in your marriage where the the temptation is to feel that that God is not really working for your good to help you. Perhaps you're facing consequences of your own sin and, and you're wondering, have I removed myself too far from God's grace? Perhaps you're just experiencing the, the sting of this fallen world and by no fault of your own, you're, just, you're facing diff, disappointing circumstances this week that just feel like they could not possibly be a part of God's good plan for your life. But one of the main points behind all that we have seen in Genesis so far is that in the midst of this fallen world, in the midst of humanity's rebellion and the, 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 the pain that has come along with it is a God who is unrelenting in caring for his people. I'm so grateful for, for Joseph's sermon last week on, on Psalm 118 and, and the reminder to us of God's steadfast love, which endures forever. What, what a wonderful theme that was for us to end last year on, Right? As we continue our journey through Genesis, let that continue to be our theme. Friends, let's not put our hope in the fact that 2020 is now finally over. As if 2020 was was somehow a glitch in God's plan for our life. God did not take last year off from being sovereign over the circumstances of our life. He did not take last year off from his purposes to do us good and show us favor. And let us not either put our hope in our own resolve to try harder this year or to learn from our mistakes or to plan better next time. These things are, are, they're well and good, but ultimately our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is not that 2020 is now finally over. Because we don't know what next year is going to bring. But what we do know is that God is sovereign. And that he is carrying out his good and gracious plan for our lives. He did that in 2018 when he started our church. He did that for us all last year in 2020. And he's going to do that for us again in 2021. God is unrelenting in his purposes for us. And Genesis so far has been a loud declaration of that. And now as we move on to our our second point, and and we really jump into our text, we're going to see that even more clearly. So point two, God is gracious in his choosing. This genealogy here in chapter 11, again, it it really serves as a major turning point in the book of Genesis and the story of God's saving plan for his people. Remember, God's plan is therefore to be a people on the earth, following him, enjoying him, filling the earth with his glory. 
But so far, right, things just seem to be heading in the wrong direction. But we come here to chapter 11 and we see a significant turning point. We see that not only is God relentless in his purposes, but he is also sovereign to bring those purposes about. And he does this through a new character introduced into the story, and that is the person of Abram. Verses 10 through 26 is a a genealogy actually similar to what we saw back in chapter 5. And if you remember back in that chapter, we're given this genealogy that, that traced the family lineage starting with Adam and ending with Noah and his family. And here now in chapter 11, we have a genealogy that starts with Noah and his family and ends with the father of Abram. Abram who would labor to be called Abraham. And in both of these genealogies, we have similarities and differences, all of which carry significant theological um, and practical encouragement for us today. And the main similarity we see in these two genealogies is that they both contain a list of ten names. Chapter 5 is ten names, starting with Adam, ending in Noah. And then chapter 11 lists ten names, beginning with Noah's son and ending with the father of Abraham. Now, this similarity might not be something that strikes us as particularly important this morning, but there is actually a really important purpose in this detail. And that purpose is to connect this new character, this person of Abram, with the person of Adam. Remember, God had blessed Adam. He had commissioned him to rule on the earth, to multiply, to fill the earth with his glory. And God promised that through the seed of Adam, there would be restoration of peace and righteousness and a reversal of the curse. And in the Old Testament, All the hope that God's people had was wrapped up in this promise that salvation was going to come through the line of Adam. In chapter 5, we see that Noah was from that line of Adam. And through his life, we saw clearly how God is bringing salvation and bringing a fresh start to humanity. And now in chapter 11, we see Abram is also from that line. And the purpose here is to introduce the character of Abram as one of the primary characters in the storyline of Scripture that God is going to use to bring about redemption for his people. God is going to use Abram and his family in mighty ways. Later, Abram would be named Abraham. That's the the name that we know him by, right? And, And Abraham is one of the most important characters in all of the Bible. And so... You might stop at this point and think, Abram must have been a pretty special person for God to have chosen him like this. There must have been something great about this man for God to call him to these great purposes. And we think that way because that's kind of how the world that we live in operates, right? If you are chosen, it's because you are worthy in some way, right? In our world, we're, we're used to, to school playgrounds where you're picked first if you're good at something or you're, or you're popular, right? At your job, you work hard and you stand out in order to succeed, in order to get that promotion, right? If your grades aren't that great in high school, you don't get into that top 10 college, right? In the NFL draft, the quarterbacks that show the most potential are picked the first, right? 
If you're, if you're a fan of any football team in the NFC East right now, we're, we're probably all hoping that our teams lose today so that we get a better draft pick because there are people who show great potential and we want those football players on our team working for us, right? And I'm not necessarily saying that it's bad or inherently bad that the world operates this way at times, but I'm just saying that this is the way that we are conditioned to think about ourselves and to think about others. Great people are the ones who are chosen for great things. You show honor to those who have earned it, right? And so it would be very natural to assume that that is also how God operates. And that there must be something great about this guy, Abram, that he has been chosen for these great purposes. But let's put these assumptions on hold for just one second and take a closer look at these verses in the life of Abram. And as we do so, we're going to see details that highlight the surprising graciousness and mercy of God in how he relates to us. Read with me again in verses 27 and 28, which, which gives some background to Abram and his family. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So these two verses, they kind of they give us a little bit of a background into the life of Abram. And we, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that these, these Chaldeans, these people from the land of Ur, they were a, a pagan people. And they were, they were actually the first people mentioned in Scripture who openly worshipped idols. That they were, they were known particularly for their worship of the moon. And again, this, this kind of shows just how far humanity has strayed from God. Not only are they living in rebellion to God, but now they are worshiping things other than God. They've rejected the creator of the universe, and they're now taking a part of his creation saying, this is what we see as worthy of worship. The moon is what they chose. And the, the foolishness of this shows just how far humanity has fallen and has fallen apart from God's intervening. But the amazing thing is that it is from this people, it is from this culture that God chooses Abram to know him and to follow him and to form the people of Israel who would be his chosen people. It's, it's kind of the opposite of what you would expect. And God's graciousness is, is further shown as we are introduced to Abram's wife, Sarah, in verse 29, which says, And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. The, the first thing that we are told about Sarai is that she is unable to have children. Now this might strike us as kind of an, an odd introduction to this person, right? But it's, it's actually a huge part of the drama of this story because it is through Sarai that God is choosing to form this people that will be a great nation of Israel and through whom redemption will come to the whole world. And so Sarah's barrenness and Abram's family history of, of idol worship really make them a, a surprising couple for God to choose to carry out these purposes. And these initial details about their lives, they're, they're meant to, to catch our attention, especially in light of what is about to come. Their, their story highlights the graciousness of God that He moves in our lives, not because we are worthy, 
Not because we are important, not because we have lots of potential, but because God is a gracious God. And he shows us favor. And, and, and nowhere else in life do we see graciousness like this, right? You know, again, we, we live in a society where, where we are valued and we are chosen based on our performance or at least our, our potential, right? That's why we work hard to develop skills, to look attractive, to be smarter than those around us because we live in a world where we know that we are valued and we are given opportunities based on those things. But that is not how God operates with us. God chose to pull Abram out of his family, out of his culture of idolatry, to show him favor, not because Abram was worthy, but because God is a gracious God. And this idea about the sovereign grace of God that is, that is highlighted in the life of Abraham is so important that it's spoken of all throughout the, the scriptures. In the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see this in Romans chapter 4, which speaks particularly of Abraham. It says, For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram had nothing to boast in on his own, nothing to claim as a reason for God's favor. All he had was faith in God who had made himself known to him. And that's all we have as well. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, which is the, the, the scripture that Sean read for us this morning. In verses 4 through 5 says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then chapter 2, it elaborates on this. It says that, that far from, from us doing anything to earn God's favor, we were, in fact, dead in our sin. We were lost in our rebellion to God. Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God's acceptance of you. The favor that he shows you. It is all his grace. For Abraham it came through trusting in the promises of God. For, for us it comes through, through realizing and trusting how those promises have been fully revealed in Christ. And what he has done for us. For Abram and for us, we stand solely on the grace and the mercy of God. And shouldn't this be such an encouragement to us? Where would we be if our favor with God was dependent upon our righteousness this past year? Where would we be if God's love for us required that we stand out in a particular way from those around us? Where would we be if God chose us because of our background or our potential or how we measured up to others around us? I tell you what, if, if that is how Scripture defined God's way of relating to us, then we would have no reason to have confidence this morning. But that is not how God relates to his people. 
God did not choose to save you and adopt you into his family because you have earned his grace. He has not sustained us through 2020 because we worked hard to deserve his favor. God has not chosen us to be a church here in Newark because we are particularly important or gifted. He has chosen us and shown us favor because he is a gracious God. He is unrelenting in his purposes for us. And he is gracious in choosing us as his people. But friends, the heart of God does not stop there. And that leads us to our last point this morning. And that is that God is benevolent in his calling. God has chosen Abram and his wife Sarah. And as we now enter into chapter 12, we begin to see God's plan for them and his plan for salvation begin to unfold more and more. Again, these, these first three verses really are a major turning point in the book of Genesis. And they are perhaps the centerpiece of the entire book of Genesis. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this very briefly because Joel's going to hit this a lot more next week in more detail. But, but to understand fully the significance of God choosing Abram in chapter 11, we need to consider why he chose him, what he chose him for. So let me read these first three verses of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The reason that this passage, these verses are so significant is it really opens up the theme of God's heart to bless this world that has fallen so far from him. The repeated mentioning of blessing in these verses speak to the hope that through Abram, people everywhere will experience the favor of God. And the effects of the curse that we have seen in these first 11 chapters will begin to be reversed. This hope will will continue more and more to come into focus throughout Scripture. And and they will ultimately be revealed in Jesus. But, But God's heart for this world and His heart to bless the nations always include His people joining Him in that purpose. God's choosing us. His showing us grace and mercy and favor is a great gift that God gives us, but it's a gift that comes with a calling. And it's a calling that that highlights God's heart to bless, because when God has blessed us, He does so in order that we might be a blessing to others. God's moving towards us, our being chosen by God, our being included in the family of God, always goes hand in hand with God's call in our lives to be a part of His purposes. And wouldn't this be such a wonderful thing for us to orient around this coming year as a church? It is so good to rejoice in the grace of God on our lives. It's comforting to know the comments we have that God plans to bless us this coming year. But it is equally important to ask God, how would you have me join you in what you are about in this world? 
This is what we want to be about as a church this coming year. When we gather together on Sundays, when we meet together as fellowship groups, we do so to call each other to faith, to rejoice together in God's promises, and to challenge one another to be about what God is about. That's why Joel prayed about this this morning in the pastoral prayer. That we would be about serving those around us. That we would be about making the name of Jesus known to those in our lives. That we might be a blessing as God has blessed us. And friends, we are all called to this. The beauty of this is that it doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian. It doesn't matter what type of, of weaknesses you feel in your life. It doesn't matter what mistakes you have made in the past. It doesn't matter there, there are people, in your opinion, who are, who are more gifted than you. The, the life of Abram shows that your usefulness to God is all because of his grace. Just like your acceptance before God is all because of his grace. And friends, that's the, that's the thought that I want to finish here on this morning. Because this is where our confidence lies. I don't know what this coming year is going to bring. But I know that God's word tells us that he is going to bring about his sovereign purposes. And I know that God has been gracious to make us his people. And I know that he is calling us to be about what he is about in this world. And friends, I am excited to rejoice in these things and to be about these things together as a church this coming year.